Amen. Welcome to Church of Hope once again. It's so good to see everybody here today. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. I am Pastor Mike. I am the lead pastor here at Church of Hope, and we are just excited that you've chosen to worship the Lord together with us here today. We are actually starting a brand new series here today. We are going to finish our study through the book of Acts, but we're going to take a little, of a, little bit of a break uh, I've sensed the Lord just uh, ministering to my own heart and saying, hey, I want us to look at this reality of heart and money. There's another uh, series that I feel like the Lord's placed on my heart that we will do after that, and that is uh, Men, Women, Marriage, and Family. I feel it's a timely thing that we need to look into, and even though these are, you might look at that and say these are topical, but let me tell you, our aim will be to look into the Bible to see what does the Word of God have to say about all of these things, because that's what we're truly interested in. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles today to Luke chapter 3. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible here today, you can raise your hand, and someone, Jake, would love to get you a Bible here today, right up here. Thanks, Jake. If you don't have a Bible at all, that is our gift to you here today. You can take that Bible home, put your name in it, and read it, because Bibles that sit on the shelves, that is true. Luke chapter 3. With this series that we're going to look at here, titled Heart and Money, I got convicted. Let me, let me tell you why. Because when I came to Church of Hope six years ago, I felt impressed that we were to do a series on money every single year. And so we did that one on money, and we haven't done one since. And so I actually, I can't even remember if I said that publicly that we we're going to do one every year, or that's something that I just shared with the elders of the church at the time, I can't remember. But uh, this is important, and so, uh, so we're going to do it now, okay? Six years later, I'm asking for your forgiveness, first and foremost, hope you will forgive me for that. As, uh, but I'm also asking for your accountability, and it, it goes uh, any amount of time that's getting pretty close to 12 months, and we haven't done a series on money. Give me a heads up. How's that sound? Maybe some of you don't want to give me the heads up on that, huh? Not getting a whole lot of amens here right now. I don't know what's happening. There we go. Here. Thank you. Um, this is super important. Fun fact for you here right now. You ready for a fun fact? Jesus had a lot to say about heaven and hell, didn't he? And that should tell us that heaven and hell is pretty real and pretty important. Did you know here today that Jesus actually said more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined? Hmm, that might give us a heads up. Huh, this is pretty important. This is something that we, as believers in Christ, should be talking about should be diving into, should be looking into the Word to say, what is Jesus talking about when He talks about these kinds of things? It should leave us asking the question, why would this be that Jesus would do that? So let's look into Scripture and see if we can find out why this is such a big deal. By the way, I want to recommend a book here today. I think there's about 10 copies right now out at the book cart. Here today called the treasure principle i use it as a resource i'd encourage it as you go through it it's it's a small book but it's uh in a quick read but i would encourage you like i said we have about 10 uh, 10 or 12 copies there maybe whoever gets to them first gets them okay and uh here's what i'd encourage you to do read through it this week and bring them back okay and 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 allow somebody else to grab one 
and, uh, and who may not get one here this week. How's that sound? Does that sound like something we can handle? No fighting. Well, Lucas went back right now. He's like, I'm not even going to risk it. No, I was expecting a... All right. Um, number one in your handout, fruit of repentance. Did you know that what you do with your finances and your possessions says a lot about true repentance taking place in your heart? Now, repentance, once again, just to give us a heads up on this, somebody, some people think of repentance as just something that we do when we come to faith in Christ. One-time deal, we repent... And then we're good to go, and yet Scripture teaches contrary to that. Did you know that? Evidence that you have truly been born again and have the Holy Spirit living inside of you is that you are continuing to repent. You continue to repent. And I know that's not a, a very seeker-friendly word. We don't like to use that maybe very much anymore. But, but if we don't talk about this, we don't have the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? Because uh, I don't know about you, but if you caught on to this, well, as we were going through the book of Acts, let's just take the book of Acts alone. There's many other places. But if you, as we've been going through the book of Acts, have you noticed that there's this theme, repentance, 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 that this is, this is the only way to come into the kingdom of God is by repentance. And so therefore, if we don't talk about repentance, guess what we're doing? We're keeping people outside of the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? We're going to keep people from getting into the kingdom of God if we don't talk about repentance. So fruit of repentance, what does that have to do with my money, my possessions, my finances? Well, did you know that true biblical repentance will affect what you do with your possessions and your finances? In Luke chapter 3 here, John the Baptist is preaching, and he came preaching a message of repentance. Isn't that what Luke chapter uh, 3, verse 3 and he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, every path shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low, and crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places ways smooth, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. That was the message that John the Baptist came preaching. Okay, So word was getting out about this, and so people from all over in that area wanted to come out and see what this was all about. And they heard the message that he was preaching, and they wanted to experience this baptism that he was talking about. And so, verse 7, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. And if you haven't picked up on this, he had a very seeker-sensitive message. Didn't John the Baptist have? Very, very seeker-sensitive. Notice his first words. This was his welcome to church. Are you ready for John the Baptist? Welcome to church. Welcome to that, what, what would you call them, the First Baptist Church? It probably was the First Baptist Church. Brood of Vipers. Good morning. Hmm. Brood of Vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who told you to come? Who told you to flee from the wrath that everyone knows is coming upon mankind and all those who have not repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone? Who warned you to flee from that? Here's what John was challenging. He was challenging this idea that it was possible to say one thing but it not be true within your own heart. 
In other words, it was possible to take a name upon yourself but not have it be true within your own heart. How do we know that's what John was getting at? Well, I think he says that here. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, prove. Where's the proof? Where's the proof that you are truly have come to a place of repentance for your sins and, 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 and are coming here to be baptized with that mindset of true repentance? Where's the evidence of that? Very different, isn't it? From maybe some of the ways that we hear the gospel proclaimed and maybe how we walk people through that. Then maybe we're accustomed to even in our day and age here today. But, um, but it must be biblical, right? Because we're reading it from right here. And it does sound like there were many people who came to, came to this place of repentance and experienced John's baptism in that. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Prove that true repentance has happened within your life. What may have been their go-to well, their go-to may have been, he, he calls them out even before they get the opportunity to say, I don't know if you know who we are, but we're actually of Abraham's descendants. Before they ever even got a chance to bring that up, John calls it out and he says, and don't say, we have Abraham as our father. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as I, our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. What may that look like today? I grew up in a Christian home, or I grew up in church, right? Maybe that's the proof that somebody wants to bring to the table. I grew up in church. Gone to church maybe my whole life. Of course I'm a Christian. Why wouldn't I be a Christian? You think I'd be, stick around these nuts for this long if I wasn't a Christian? John the Baptist says, don't even go there. What do you mean? Here's what he meant. You go to church your whole life and never be born again. You go to church your whole life and never repent of your sins truly and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In other words, you could be a name-only Christian is what he's getting at. Fruit matters. Fruit matters. James talks about this in his epistle, doesn't he? He says, faith without works is dead. Now here's not what James is saying. James is not saying you need to work so that you can earn salvation. That's not what he's saying, is he? We know that, right? Because we believe in, 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 in we've talked about that quite a bit around here, right? It's by grace alone through faith, not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. God gets all the glory for your salvation because he's done it all. But here's what he's saying by that. He says, you show me your faith without your works. In other words, you just say, I have faith, but you have no evidence of faith. You live just like everybody else. You, you act just like everybody else. And yet you say, I am a Christian, right? I'm following Jesus. Whatever you might say. He's, James says, you, you show me that. He says, you can do that, but I'll show you my faith. What, he, what does he say? Does anybody know? It starts with a B. Help me out. By my works. Right? So he's not saying, I do works and so then I get salvation. He's saying, I'll show you that I have true faith 
Because the Holy Spirit, if I've repented of my sins, friends, are you ready for this? The Holy Spirit has come to take up residency in your heart and you cannot say the same. I'm not saying you don't struggle with things. I'm not saying there, that you arrive at some place of perfection because we know that we're not going to until we see him on that day. Doesn't scripture tell us that? We will see him. We're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he truly is. Until that day, we're going to struggle. We're going to, we're going to have all kinds of imperfections and think, continually things that, we need to be, uh, that God is going to bring to our attention that we continue to repent of and allow him to deal with us. And the one who deals with us on those things promises us that he not only forgives us those sins, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news today? Praise God. That's the work that he's in, into doing. But you cannot stay the same. It's impossible. Because he's living inside of you. And if, we're, and if we're continuing to walk with him and continue to grow with him, this continues to be one of our cries. Lord, continue to fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Right? Ephesians 5. Be being filled. That was a command. Be being filled. We need to continually continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fruit matters. So they ask John the Baptist, what does this look like? I mean, there's three groups of people here in Luke chapter 3. You have the general population, then you have tax collectors, then you have the soldiers. Who came up to Jesus and said, okay, you tell me what this look like, looks like. And he takes them, are you ready for this? Every single one of these, he highlights possessions and finances. Isn't that interesting? Every single one of John the Baptist's response our possessions and finances. Look at what he says. So the people asked him in verse 10, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. That's what it looks like. And he who has food, let him do the same thing. Possessions. That's what Paul, or excuse me, John the Baptist. I guess they're used to going through Acts. We're not talking about Paul right now. So John the Baptist says, it'll look like. What else? The tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more. Now he's talking finances. Collect no more than that which is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers who came to John the Baptist said, what shall we do? He told them, Basically, don't use your position to intimidate people. Okay? Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. Okay? You say, well, he's not talking about finances. Oh, no, he continues on. And be content with your wages. Be content with what you're receiving. What's driving your life, in other words, is what he's asking them right now. Why are you doing what you are doing? Is it to obtain more wealth so that you continue to store up everything you can for yourself and for your family? Or are you living for the kingdom? This is fruits of repentance. Right? These people, listen, these people had just come to him and John the Baptist is already going there saying this is what it'll look like. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
Does this sound like a biblical principle to you? Jot this one down. We're not going to look at it right now. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 tells us, Paul is telling us this, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Amen. Wow. Not only, as we've celebrated here this morning in the remembrance of what Christ accomplished for those who have faith in Christ, not only did he accomplish forgiveness of sins, you know what Jesus also set you free from? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Who say What was it? The world? Worry. Yeah, that's part of it. Absolutely. He came to set us free from ourselves. Did you know that? He came to set us free from living for the kingdom of self now. And he's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son, right? Light of his love. And now he says, live for that kingdom now. Praise God, right? Everybody who's in Christ has the ability now that they don't have to. Did you know that Christ accomplished that for you on the cross? That was one of the provisions. You don't have to live for yourself anymore. You can live for a greater purpose. Than that. And it's not just a greater kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It's going to go on forever and ever and ever. You don't have to live for yourself. You don't have to live for the kingdom of self. Now you can live for the kingdom of God. That's good news today. It's what he came to do. How about Zacchaeus, who's another example in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Let's look at that here quickly. Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, verse 1, and now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector who was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was because he'd heard about Jesus, right? But could not because of the crowd, for he was short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed onto, up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he made haste and came down, notice this, and received him, what's that next word? Yeah, nice and loud. J gladly or joyfully, amen. That's key. But when they saw it, those who were around him, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with the man who is a sinner. Are you kidding me? Uh, God's kingdom doesn't look like our kingdom. Not even the religious kingdoms that we've created. Then Zacchaeus stood and said uh, to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusations, I restore fourfold, four times, towards them. Wow, what a statement. Look, you notice what Jesus says here next? And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. What, what just happened there? Fruit of repentance just happened there. Fruit of repentance. Isn't that interesting that it worked itself out that way? The first thing that comes out of Zacchaeus' mouth after Jesus, after he encounters the living God is, if I've wronged anybody, and he had... If I've cheated people, I am going to restore back. And Jesus tells him, today salvation has come to this house. It wasn't what earned him salvation. It was evidence that true faith had come to that house. Does that make sense? All right. 
We see this happening again. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 2, after a great multitude of people get saved, right, on the day of Pentecost, they're preaching the gospel. And in fact, they had people there who were hearing the, God, the, the wonderful works of God in their own language, because this is how the Holy Spirit was working right then. And people were hearing this, and, and many people were coming to faith in Christ. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that after that, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' Doctrine, right? They're teaching, right? To the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and um, help me out here. What was that last one? I always forget that one. Nope. Prayer. Prayer. Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayer. And then it goes on to say, and they had all things in common. Even those who had much began to sell the things that they had because there was others within their body of believers that had needs. And they said, listen, no one's going to be a part of this body without having every need met. That's beautiful, friends. Once again, right after salvation and the church is even birthed, this begins to happen. And then it happens again in Acts chapter 4. It's highlighted once again after a great multitude of people come to faith in Christ. It's talking about how the believers are living amongst each other. It says the same thing happened there once again. Generosity gets birthed in your heart because the Holy Spirit comes up to take up residency and you cannot help but have that happen in your life. Does that make sense? Good. It's no longer about hoarding, but rather it's about generosity Lydia was another great example. You can jot this one down in Luke, excuse me, Acts chapter 16, 15, which Luke wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. After she had found faith in Christ and her whole, she, her and her family, and they get baptized, she, it says she begged the apostles to stay at her place. She begged them. She wanted them to. She wasn't going to have it any other way. You're staying at my place. She wanted to show, she said, if you've judged me faithful, in other words, if you've judged that I've truly come to faith in Christ, and that I have experienced new birth, I want to prove it to you. You're going to stay here. And she persuaded them to stay at her place. Over and over again, all throughout Scripture. Look at this, number two in your handout. Where do you store up? I gave you number one, didn't I? For, yes. Number two. Where do you store up? Where do you store up? Turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. 13. Then one of the crowd. Notice what's happening here. They're just coming. Let's take this in context. We always want to look at things in context. Jesus had just finished talking about confessing him before men, confessing his name before men. He talked about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, talking about things of the kingdom here, serious, real things. And about when they would be brought before councils that the Holy Spirit would give them the right words to say that they don't have to plan ahead of time. Here's what I'm going to say. But the Holy Spirit was giving give them the right words when they're put on trial, when they're brought before the councils. Okay, he just got done saying that. And a guy in the crowd speaks up. Teacher, verse 13, tell my brother to divide the, the inheritance with me. Apparently they'd come into an inheritance and one brother wasn't giving what he should have been giving to the other brother. You look at Jesus' response. 
Man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. Isn't that good? And do you think Jesus told that guy's brother to give him half the inheritance? I don't think he did. It doesn't seem like it here. I can almost see Jesus like, What are you talking about? Did you not hear what I was just talking about? I'm talking about the things of the kingdom. And then you come up and you're like, Hey, I'm not getting what is rightfully mine in the inheritance. He's like, Listen, are you kidding me right now? We're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And that's where your mind goes? You're living for that which is so temporal, so short-lived. And if that's what you're living for, then you're going to receive your reward now. Right? Didn't Jesus say that about, about the Pharisees and so on who were doing all these things so they could see, be seen by men? He said they have their reward. They already have it. That's all they're getting. And he warned people, after this guy comes and brings us up, he warned people, he says, beware of covetousness, it's very dangerous. Beware of looking what other people have and say, I gotta have that, I gotta have that. You know, all that's doing, it's exposing your heart. Just be honest with all of us here today, I'm preaching at myself. It exposes our hearts and say, there's something not right in my heart. When we look at things that others have and say, I gotta have that, or I'm not gonna be happy until I get that, all that's happened is my heart has been exposed. And I'm starting to put way too much weight in the things of this world than the things of the kingdom of God. Beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance, how much you can get, how much you can attain. He's like, that's shallow. It's not what this life is for. It's not why you're here. Verse 16, so then he speaks a parable to them. And within this parable, he gives... The point wasn't in the amount that the person had. That's never the point. There's some who have much. There's some who have less. Some who are somewhere in between. The point is never in Scripture of how much somebody has. Never the point. It always has to do with the heart. The question is, what are you and I doing with what we have? What are you and I doing with what we have? That's the point. Because there was a woman who, as Jesus was in the temple, and they saw a woman, they saw everybody coming and bringing their offerings, and then there was a woman who put in two mites. Remember this? She put in two mites. Remember, what did Jesus say about that woman? She gave more than anyone else. And you look at quantity why she hadn't. That wasn't what Jesus was getting at. Jesus said, because she gave everything that she had. The point is never about the amount. The point is always about the heart. And what are you doing with what God has given you? And we're going to look at this next week because everything belongs to God. Isn't that right, Jake? It's freeing, isn't it? Jake's been telling me testimonies of things that happen in his life. It's freeing. This is not negative. This is freeing. God wants to set us free in these areas within our lives. Here's the parable. And he thought within himself, we'll be done before 2 o'clock. He thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store up my crops? 
So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store up all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. You've earned it. But, God, big butts in the Bible, friends. Here it is. Here's another big one. But God said to him, Fool. What does God think about that kind of living? He thinks you're a fool. He thinks I'm a fool if I'm living life that way. Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided for yourself? And then he goes on to say, So is he who lays up treasure for himself. And here's the next part, and this is, this is big right here. This is the point right here. And is not rich towards God. Not rich towards God. Where are we at with the Lord? How, where's our heart at? How are we treasuring Christ? This is what he says don't do. Now let's look at what he says to do. Look at Matthew. Let's look at the, the, the portion of this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Notice here, I find this interesting. Jesus doesn't say don't lay up for yourselves, for yourselves, treasures. Right? He doesn't say that. He says he's concerned about where you and I lay up treasures. Isn't he? Because you notice here, he says in um, chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but, another big but, lay up for yourselves, saying for yourselves, isn't that interesting? Treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there, go ahead Norma, finish it. There your heart is. Where you're treasured. We're starting to see why money's kind of a big deal in the Word of God. Why? Because where your treasure is, what you're investing in, what you're giving yourself to, that's exactly where your heart's going to be. That's what he's saying. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is, uh, in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He, here he's speaking of good and bad, righteousness and, and evil, and, and, and the lamp of the, of, of the body, that which, which, which everything is seen and exposed by. If even our light is darkness, how great that darkness is. It exposes us. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. Right? Isn't that what it says? says it's impossible. You can't do it. 
What does, he, what does he mean by that? God's not going to allow us to do that. God's not going to allow us to do that. If your heart is God and His kingdom, you will store up treasures in heaven where nothing can touch it. And it can never get old. It can never be stolen. And it can never be taken from you. It is safe and secure and you will enjoy it forever. Therefore, he says. Number three in your handout. Kingdom of heaven. We'll land with this one. Matthew chapter 13. I didn't say we'll land soon. I said we'll land with this. Short parable. And here in context, in Matthew chapter 13, in the kingdom of heaven, he is sharing this is what the kingdom of God is and this is what it looks like. And in the process of doing that, he says this. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Why? So he can have the treasure, right? I think that's the reasonable explanation for that. He, he finds a treasure in the field. He says, I've got to have that treasure, but he knows he doesn't own the field, and so he goes out and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy the field and get the treasure. Why would anyone do that? Think about that for a second. Why would anybody do that? There's only one reason. He saw and knew that the treasure was better than everything else. He saw and knew that the treasure was better than anything else. The nature of this is not begrudging. Nah, here's what I'm supposed to do. Guess I got to give up all my money and all my rights and all of these things so that I can sell everything and buy this field. No, the key is found in this little word here in this passage. Can somebody help me find it? I'm going to give you a clue. It starts with a J. Jesus. Close. Somebody said it. Joy. I know. I know. You had a good shot. It was, it was, it, there was a high chance that that was going to be right. Joy. Who for joy. So it wasn't begrudging. He found the treasure. And after he found the treasure, living fully for him to gain him to know him, to grow in him. That was the only thing that made sense from that point on in his life. Right? Do you think Paul, do you think the Apostle Paul was saying this in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, that I may know him. I count everything else as even dung. Okay, let's be real, use good biblical words here today. Dung, poop. Okay, in case you're wondering what dung meant, okay? Sorry if you tell your kids not to say that. 
But that's what Paul was saying. Count everything as loss that I may gain Christ. The treasure is the point. The reason why we're here is the treasure. He's worth it all, friends. He's worth it all. Nothing compares to the treasure, Jesus Christ. Stoy, Jess, and Rach, and myself were talking this last week. You remember this conversation that we were having, Stoy? Right? You remember this? We said this. There isn't going to be one person that stands before God after receiving their eternal reward and say, Man, I sure wish I would have hung on to things a little more tightly. I sure wish I would have spent a little bit more on myself. I sure wish I would have stored up a lot more. It's just not going to happen. Because we're going to be seeing, and I don't even know, I'll just be honest with you here today, I don't even know, I know the main reward is Christ. But there are other rewards. Great rewards. I don't even know what they all are. Scripture doesn't tell us what they are. They give us snidbits, give us little pizzas. Has to do with position and responsibility. I believe that throughout all the eternity that you're going to have. But I has not seen nor has ear heard, neither has it even entered the heart of man in the greatest imagination the things God has prepared for those who love Him. I don't know what it all is, but I know Christ is at the center of it all because He is the greatest treasure. And they're going to be seeing Him going to transform us into his image fully on that day so here's the key for you and I here today here's the question that I ask myself is Jesus my treasure is Jesus your treasure do you see him as altogether worthy and nothing and no one will ever compare to him You see, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, you can jot that one down. We don't have to look at it. You can look at it later. But here's what he says. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find life. What was Jesus saying by that? He knows that he is most worthy. We sang about that, didn't we, here this morning? Did we mean it? He is worthy of it all. That, that song is taken out of Revelation. And they were looking at the one on the throne, and that's what they said. Oh, he's worthy of it all. There was no question. He's worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. That's what they say when they're gazing upon the throne. And the one who's on the throne. That's why He would tell us here today because He knows the reality of this. It's not like we've got to make Jesus worthy enough. He already is worthy. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It's in his word, friends. It's called kingdom living. 
And that's what he wants to continue to do in our hearts. Everything else in life pales in comparison to his glory. And when we come to grips with this, we don't ever fully grasp it. We continue to dig and we continue to search and we continue to allow Him to reveal His truth to our hearts. And as that continues to happen, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be filled with more joy in Jesus Christ and He's going to be glorified through it. And that's the point. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word here today. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for what you desire to do in and through each one of our lives as we continue to talk about these realities of heart and money. Lord, you are worthy of it all. Confront us with your truth here this week. We can transform our hearts, Lord, more and more that we would hold loosely to this to the things of this earth. That we would be a people that give of ourselves, that give of our possessions, that give of our finances for the sake of the kingdom of God because you are worthy of it all. And as we're going to look at next week, you own it all. It's yours. We love you, Jesus. Work in our hearts. It's in your mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 If you'd like prayer for anything else here today, even though we've had a prayer time here today, we'd love to pray with you and for you. If you have questions about anything that we've talked about here today, we'd love to talk with you about this. Amen. You are dismissed. Oh, oh, yep. Thank you. You're not dismissed yet. Yeah. After talking about that, we're going to take up an offering. How about that? Amen. First Sunday of the month, we always take up a benevolent offering. And this goes to people in the church and outside of the church, people in your communities. And by the way, if you know of anybody that may be in need inside the church that maybe we're not aware of, okay, um, you can go ahead and start passing that out. Um, that, uh, um, or maybe somebody within your workplace or anything like that, you just think it would be, it would be a, a way that we can reach out to them as a body of Christ and bless them. Please let us know. Please talk to the deacon and deaconesses. Um, and we would love to be able to pray about that. That's what they do. They, they, they take all of these different requests before the Lord. They put it before the Lord and they just say, Lord, lead us. Show us what you want us to do here. And then they go out from there. So um, you have an opportunity to be a part of that. It's a great opportunity. So uh, as, the, as the baskets are being passed here right now, just encourage you to... Give as the Lord would lead in that. Let's pray for that as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you that for everything that you have blessed us with, everything, every good and perfect gift is from you. So we thank you for that. And I just ask that the money that's even being given right now would be used to advance your kingdom, would be used to minister to people's hearts and lives. We pray for the people that are going to receive that even right now that you would do a work in their hearts as they receive that. You would accomplish your purpose through it. Give the deacon and deaconess team just wisdom in how to distribute that. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Now.